right was wrong. I've come to worship you and you won't accept it, God. I'm doing the right thing, but it was wrong. And this whole thing about desire will come to in just a moment because sin's desire is for you. It's to master you. We know that, don't we? We struggle with this. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And that's the illustration of us holding on to our anger, isn't it? So God was challenging Cain to consider his own wrong. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Sin had successfully mastered Cain. As Warren Wiersbe says, why was the beast crouching at the door of Cain's life? Because the deception and anger in Cain's heart attracted it. Just as James 1, 13 to 15 talks about temptation as bait on the hook or in a trap, so Cain actually put the bait out there to attract, attempt, to attract temptation. I, I'm fascinated by this one verse in here because it's so brief. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, in verse 8. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The word brother is here twice in this verse. And it wasn't some stranger that he killed, it was his brother. Cain's the first murderer in human history. And of course, we know that ultimately Satan, the devil, was behind this because we know in John 8, 44, it tells us he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, and he will tell you all kinds of lie, like he told my friend Larry, that because he'd murdered somebody that God couldn't accept him. That is so wrong. And Jesus made a reference to this crime in Matthew 23, verses 29 to 36, when he says... 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your Sent, fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Let me ask you a question. I'll ask it of myself. Do I, do we, do we take refuge in lies? Do we take refuge in lies? Isaiah 28, verse 15 says, because we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, or hell, the grave, we have an agreement, death. When the overwhelming whip passes through, when judgment comes, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge. And false and in falsehood, we have taken shelter. Do we take refuge in lies? Here's the contrast again. Like Abel, he didn't take refuge in lies, but Cain took refuge in lies. Do we take refuge in the Lord Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life? You see, in our culture today, we have what is even termed in 1984 Orwell's book, Groupthink. And Matthias Desmond said this in his book, recent book, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, whoever speaks truth breaks open the solidified story in which the group seeks refuge, ease, and security. This makes speaking the truth a dangerous endeavor. It strikes fear in the group and results in anger and aggression. Truth-telling is dangerous, yet it is also necessary. George Orwell said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak the truth. So he says, to his, he says to Cain, he says, in verse 9, where is Abel your brother? Notice God's asking questions. Cain's response, I, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You see, premeditated murder comes not from a flush of adrenaline, 
but from a continual growth of hatred in one's mind and heart. And that's what happened Cain. We had read earlier there in, in Matthew 5 that a sinful thought is punishable as a finished act, is as punishable as a finished act. The only way for us to break that chain reaction in our mind and rule over it is to do what 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The roaring lion is preying upon us. Resisting him is difficult, but not impossible. Because when we cast all of our anxieties on him, he cares for us. He cares for you. And so we can destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take refuge in the Lord. That's the safest place to be. And you know he didn't, but you know what's interesting to me is that some of us, if we were God at that point, would have had Cain executed immediately. And uh, rightly so, later God said, by whoever sheds man's blood, by, man, by you know, that, it, it, that person needs to also have their blood shed. But here he says, in verses 10 to 12, now you, the ground is cursed, so he was now going to have to struggle in being a farmer, and he was going to lead a wandering life. He went to the land of Nod, which means not a wandering, and he even said this, and notice it was all centered around himself, because this is what we do, isn't it? My punishment is greater than I can bear. So his remorse over sin was absent. Cain did not say like David did, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Cain is the prototype for the unrepentant transgressor. The way of the transgressor is hard, Proverbs 13, 15 says. And in our culture today, if we're going to make a stand and surrender all for Jesus Christ, there is going to be opposition. Yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution. In, uh, and I would recommend this book to you, Erwin Lutzer's book, We Will Not Be Silenced. He makes a couple of statements about what our culture does when we make concessions to the culture at times as well as we acknowledge maybe we got something wrong. He says, nothing done will ever be enough. Their goal is endless retaliation, not reconciliation. Sort of sounds like Cain's way, doesn't it? Don't criticize us, they will say, or we will come after you and it'll be your fault. 
You see, this is the way of Cain. He says to God, my sin is your fault, God. Kind of learned that from his dad. It's the woman you gave me. You see, always passing the blame rather than accepting the blame. You see, some may say that um, the God in the New Testament appears, the, and the God in the Old Testament appears too severe, too stern, too harsh, too ready to punish. But God's there saying, if you do well, will you not be accepted? God is gracious, merciful, loving. God is showing rich mercies to Cain. Cain deserved only punishment, but God is holding out to him. Even before he murdered his brother, if you do well, will you not also be accepted? You bring the right sacrifice, I'm going to accept you. But you know, the psalmist says this, doesn't he? It's beautiful. The Lord in Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, it says this. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh, I wish sometimes I was slow to anger. (laughs) The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. But the pathway of Cain says, my expectations will be met by God's surrender to me instead of God's expectations being met by my surrender to God. Cain says, God needs to change his way to fit what I want. He had false entitlement, false equality, false expectation. Cain says, God needs to change his ways to fit what I want. The way of Cain originates in a failure to surrender all. And we need to surrender all. What can be so much better than having the creator of everything determine my entitlements, determine the equality that I'm to have, determine the expectations I'm to have? Because he is Lord, I am not. I love it when pastor tells us to say, I am not God. Let's say that together. I am not God. And Jesus is Lord. And yeah, you can say to the person next to you, neither are you, you know, remember that. (laughs) You see, God isn't rejecting Cain. He's rejecting Cain's offering. Get that distinction. And Cain's insistence that God agree to Cain designing worship is also the way of Cain. Bringing to God what I want God to have instead of bringing to God what God chooses. This is coming to the end, and I have a difficult part to say now because this is where this comes in. It's not the same, but it's the same diameter and size of what is used by medical professionals 
to pierce the sac and pull out amniotic fluid in the abortion of a child. Dr. Steve Hammond was a, is a gifted doctor. Over 40 years, obstetrician, did I say that right? And gynecologist. He co-authored a book recently with Emily Labonte called The Christian and Abortion, A Non-Negotiable Stance. In his career, he's delivered over 4,000 babies. He's, in, he's been involved in the evaluation of over 20,000 pregnant women. But in a year and a half early in his medical career, he performed over 700 abortions. In July 1977, while performing an abortion, a later term abortion than what he was told was the age of the baby, he had a life-changing event take place. As they started the abortion procedure, they drew out significantly more amniotic fluid than normal for a first trimester abortion. Instead of a teaspoon, it was over a quart. He knew the baby was beyond the first trimester, and then something unusual but profound happened. The baby kicked him. The baby kicked him. He then knew he will never perform an abortion again. When he describes this in his later journey, back to Jesus that his mother had raised him to believe in, he says this, these hands have destroyed 700 babies, but also these hands are hands that God has cleansed and forgiven. And these hands have 700 babies that cry out, God can forgive if you will come to him. In fact, Psalm 145 says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who will love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. But let me tell you this. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are not defined by your sins. You are not defined by your sins. Jesus Christ defines you as his child a member of his family, and there's no better family to be a part of than the family of God. He does not define you as a sinner condemned to never enter heaven, but as his child with his ticket to heaven. Alexander Solzhenitsyn says in his Live Not By Lies, the simplest and most accessible key to our self-neglected liberation is this, personal non-participation in lies. 
Though lies may conceal everything, though lies may control everything, we should be obstinate about this one small point. Let them be in control, but without any help from any of us. There are a lot of things that anger me, that anger me in our society, that anger me with how people are treated, made in the image of God. And we see the effects of that throughout our culture. But let me give you three passages to think about. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Don't envy or get angry or bitter towards sinners around us, where I'm a sinner as well. Proverbs 24, verses 1 and 2 says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. And then when I was in prison and I called to my dad, and he, I was complaining to him of what was going on in prison, and he read this verse to me, Psalm 37, 1. Fret not because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And verse 8 says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. You see, all the things that we can be angry with, all the things that we can be angry at, all of the movements of men in various areas of our culture that may anger us, all of those man-made movements, they're devised by man, Owen Strachan says, are attempts to find meaning in me, my desires, and my experience, not in God. And then some verses that I want you to consider, particularly for those of us who know Christ as Savior, these verses mean a lot to us. But if you do not know Christ as your Savior, these are verses to consider what he can do for you. Isaiah 43, verses 25 and 26 says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. I am so thankful God does not remember my sins. Corey Ten Boom said, when, it, when God says, I cast your sins into the depths of the sea, God also puts up a sign that says, no fishing. <laughs> and that's exactly right. Only the devil fishes for him. We don't. And God never does. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 and verse 20 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Are you at peace 
Have you been to the cross? Has his blood cleansed you? And if not, why not come to him this morning? Because he is opening his arms for you to come to him. And if anyone here this morning would want to come to him, I would encourage you to do so. If you were to stand and say that, someone would come to you now. Is there anyone that would say, I want to be at peace because I've not been at peace? And if you cannot stand now, would you go to someone and talk about that? Would you go to someone and say, I need to know how I can be at peace through the blood of his cross. But let me ask you, for all of us, for myself, for everyone here, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? We're going to sing in just a moment. It is well with my soul. This song is from an individual who lost all of his daughters. His wife only survived. And yet he could say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? Music group's going to come and we're going to sing. It is well with my soul.